Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Buckeye Talk is brought to you by ShopOhioState.com and the Ohio State University Barnes & Noble Bookstore. For the finest Ohio State gear and apparel, go to the store on High Street or visit ShopOhioState.com. Great discounts, great stuff at ShopOhioState.com and MinutemanTickets.com. Concerts, theater tickets, sporting events, whatever you need, it's national selection with a local feel. Make our ticket guys your ticket guys with MinutemanTickets.com. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Doug Lane Maurice in my hotel room. This is the post game podcast for the 49 20 loss to Purdue. I'm recording this just after noon on Sunday. Sorry, I'm just getting to this now. Got to the hotel about 3 30 last night, slept till 7 30, woke up. Uh, wrote two stories, did my AP ballot, just submitted that, and got to the podcast now. So I'm just trying to explain to you guys why it's a little bit later than I wanted it to be. But I will say, I cannot imagine not cranking stuff out in a moment like this, because this is a time when you need to analyze and think, and there are a million different things to think about with this Ohio State team. And you guys asked 149 questions when I put the uh, call out at the end of the game last night, and also you sent me 4,000 tweets during the game, some of them calling for Urban Meyer to be fired. So listen, we're, we're not going to deal with sort of the, the off-the-handle ones. Uh, I understand people are upset. You have a right to be upset. Um, we're going to dig in on the stuff that matters. I think there's coaching stuff that matters. I think there's real personnel things that matter. Um, someone asked a, an excellent question that I'm going to use for a whole story on Monday. Um, and, and I can't find it right now, but I'm going to credit them like crazy on Monday. And the idea was how much is the preseason indefinite leave when Urban Meyer missed all of preseason camp? How much is that affecting Ohio State now? And I think that is coming back to haunt Ohio State because I think Urban Meyer doesn't know what to do with this offense. And I think this was going to be a change. This was a drastic change in offensive philosophy. Philosophy. It was the right thing to do, obviously, with Dwayne Haskins. It was clearly the right thing, the necessary thing to do. But I think it's possible that if Urban Meyer had a month of camp with this team, he would have gotten a better handle on how to run with this quarterback. 
And instead, Ryan Day was left to try to get a handle on that, and, and maybe he got a handle on it in his way, and then Urban Meyer came back, and they're still sort of, sort of searching for it together. Uh, there are a lot of questions along the lines of why did the offense look better when Urban was gone. Uh, I will say Oregon State and Rutgers stink, so you almost have to throw those out. And I do think teams have gotten an idea of what to do to Ohio State over time. The more film they've gotten on this offense, the better they've got at defending it. And actually, I think P.J. Fleck deserves some credit, the Minnesota coach, last week for laying out the game plan. Part of it, at least defensively, was let Dwayne Haskins go nuts and stop the run. I asked him about that after the Minnesota game. That's what he said, and that's what Dwayne Haskins did on Saturday night. It is unbelievable to everyone that an Ohio State quarterback threw 73 passes in a game, threw for 470 yards, and they lost by 29. I mean, that is just an unbelievable thing to think of, and it's because they're letting Haskins throw, and they know Ohio State can't do anything in the red zone. So, We're going to get to questions. I will say I think this does boil down not entirely but mostly to one thing, and it's the thing Urban Meyer said right when he got in the room in the cramped, crowded, stuffy visiting media center at Purdue. It's it's like a separate shed. It's a brick little warehouse shed. That is, it's the Ohio, it's the visiting locker room, and then right off of it is the media room. Like you come out the door of the locker room, and you're in this little media area. So it's stuffy, it's hard to hear, it's unpleasant, and it was very unpleasant for Urban Meyer last night. And he immediately sat down and said, "Our shortcomings were glaring, and it starts with the red zone, and it does start with the red zone. It almost starts and ends with the red zone, and here's why. Through the first." 40 minutes of the game last night, there were seven trips to the red zone by these two teams. Four by Ohio State, three by Purdue. Four trips by Ohio State, three by Purdue. Seven total red zone trips. All the scoring in the game had taken place in the red zone up until about five minutes left in the third quarter. The score of the game was 21-6, to Purdue. Purdue had three red zone trips and three touchdowns. Ohio State had four red zone trips, two field goals, a missed field goal, and a stop on fourth and two once they were down 21-6 and they knew field goals weren't going to cut it. These teams, this is the, one of the stunning stats of last night, and I tweeted it out as a snarky joke at the end of the game. Ohio State outgained Purdue. Ohio State had 546 yards offense. Purdue had 539. Now, Purdue got a pick six at the end. That took it from 42 to 49, but it was basically 42-20 in a world where these teams were both marching up and down the field. Now, they both also punted a lot. There were a lot of possessions in this game. Ohio State punted five times. Purdue punted six times. So they stopped. They each stopped each other about the same amount. They each gained the same number of yards, and Purdue blew the doors off Ohio State. So how can the yards be equal? How can the punts be equal? And yet Ohio State got its butt kicked. And the answer is red zone. The answer is red zone. And, and again, it's not the only thing, but it is, it is such an overwhelming thing. And there was only one turnover. The only turnover was the pick six late. Turnovers equal. Yards equal. Punts equal. And it was 42 to 20. It's all about the red zone. Ohio State had two throws on receivers' hands. The first to Terry McLaurin, the second to Ben Victor. In the corner of the end zone, they clearly thought they had a route there. 
that was going to work, get single coverage, let the receivers sort of box out the defensive back and let Dwayne Haskins put it on their hands. He didn't make perfect throws either time. I asked him about those throws. He thought he should have put more mustard on him. He tried to loft him a little bit. Both, I thought, were late. I thought both routes were open. And then by the time the throw got to the receiver, the Purdue defensive back was in the play. I thought also both could have been caught. I think Michael Thomas catches one of those. So if either of those is completed, Ohio State's in the game. If both those are completed, it's an even game. And then you got the fourth and two where they tried a little motion with K.J. Hill, basically have two receivers there, help box out for him, throw a quick little slant. Dwayne threw it too hard. It hit hit K.J. in the hands and bounced off his hands. But I think he was going to get tackled short of the goal line anyway. So they had opportunities in the red zone, and I think the play calls themselves weren't awful, but I think the point is this. Nothing in the red zone is easy. There's no, hey, we're on the six, let's hand off twice, three yards, three yards, you're in the end zone. They're trying these throws where you don't have to be perfect, but a couple things have to go right. And even with a great quarterback and and solid receivers in those moments, not enough things went right. The throws weren't perfect. The receivers didn't make plays they could have made where if you're running it and you rely on your offensive line and you have good tailbacks, you just hand them the ball from the six and say, ram it in there. And it can look easy when it works. But right now, that looks very difficult for Ohio State. So the thing that does look good at, uh, most of the time is the passing game. But it did not work in those situations. And the result is seven red zone trips in the first 40 minutes of the game. Four by Ohio State, three by Purdue. Purdue leads 21-6, to six, and that's it. Once Ohio State was forced to go for it on fourth and two and not try a field goal to make it 21-9, to nine, Late in the third, you knew they were entering a desperate situation. And you knew in your heart, this team's going to have trouble scoring. And then what happened late in the game was they started trading big plays. Neither team got in the red zone the rest of the game. They started trading big, long touchdowns. So it's 21-6 Purdue. Then it goes 28-6, 28-13, 35-13, 35-20, 42-20. That's trading big scores. That's not red zone. In that aspect of the game... It was basically even. Big plays were basically even, but the red zone failed Ohio State. Yes, the defense is a problem. Yes, the run game in general is a problem, but I think the major problems with the run game are how they show up in the red zone. The red zone lost Ohio State this game. They were 0 for 3 against Minnesota on touchdowns, 0 for 4 against Purdue on touchdowns. You cannot try to win a game against a team like Purdue with an offense led by Jeff Brom that features Rondale Moore and David Blau. Blau. Plow. It's like plow, I always say. David Blau. You can't win with threes. You can't win with threes. Even if Blake Hallbill makes all the kicks, it's 21-9 there. Instead of the early missed field goal, they're still going to try to go for it. They're not going to kick another field goal and settle for 21-12. They can't. They knew they had to score touchdowns, and when they got close to the goal line, they could not score touchdowns. So let's dive into questions, but I'm going to tell you it is a basic, fundamental issue with this offense. They were good in the red zone early, and I wrote a story about this. I asked questions about this last week. I asked Urban Meyer about the red zone. I asked Ryan Day about the red zone. I asked Dwayne Haskins about the red zone after last week. You can watch my prediction video. I said it's going to come down to who can score in the red zone. This is a function of the failures of the run game. This is a function of not having zone read with the quarterback. They need to get this figured out. 
We know everyone wants to talk about Tate Martell. We have asked about Tate Martell a million times. My old friend Bill Landis, maybe you remember him. He asked Urban Meyer about Tate Martell two weeks ago. I asked Ryan Day about Tate Martell last week. They said the same thing. Yeah, maybe. It's a possibility. They must fix this. If Tate Martell is part of the answer, it doesn't mean Tate Martell is the red zone quarterback. But he can come in in the red zone for some plays. I would not make it like JT Barrett and Cardale Jones in 2015, where during their transition from Cardale to JT, they made JT the red zone quarterback for one game at Rutgers. And they, I think, were 8 for 8 or something in the red zone. JT, you hit the 20, JT came in. That's not what I would do with Tate, even though I've been pounding the table for Tate. But I'd use him. Maybe if it's first and 10 from the 11, you have Dwayne on first down, but you put in Tate on second down. Maybe if it's third and three at the eight-yard line, you put Tate in and you run something. You try something other than what they've tried the past two games because what they tried the past two games did not work. Let's get to your 139, 49 questions. At Buckeye Brad, can we blame this loss on Bill Landis leaving the podcast? I will only leave this stat here. And I walked up last night as they were waiting outside the Purdue locker room and I saw Ari and Bill and I said, Bill Landis, I said, I just tweeted this. Ohio State is 0-1 since Bill Landis left Cleveland.com. Now, I didn't actually tweet it. They wouldn't have cared if I did. It's kind of funny. But yes, blame, uh, blame Bill. At Patrick Barton. Does this loss change Urban's philosophy of never firing coaches midseason or before their second season is done? Or does the good old boys club continue? Urban Meyer is very proud of the fact that he's never fired an assistant. He takes pride in that. He takes pride in that loyalty. We know he, he forced out Ed Warner and we know he forced out Everett Withers and we know he forced out Tim Beck, but they always left for a job. They tried to spin somehow that Ed Warren chose to become the Minnesota offensive line coach instead of the Ohio State offensive coordinator. You're taking a step down in every way, but yet Ohio State never put out a press release that somebody was fired. Now, of course, they fired Zach Smith, but that's not the same thing. I thought Zach Smith could have been fired. That was the first coach Urban Meyer ever fired, which is part of why it was hard for him to do it. I thought Zach Smith could have been fired on performance. Forget the rest of the stuff. I thought Zach Smith could have been fired on performance at times. So he's not going to fire anybody midseason. I know um, Stoops got fired. The Oklahoma defensive coordinator got fired a couple weeks ago. People like to point to that. That was never Lincoln Riley's guy. That was a remnant of the Bob Stoops staff. It's Bob Stoops' brother. Lincoln Riley inherits that team, inherits that staff. This is his second season. I don't think he wanted to come in and clear out everybody. So Lincoln Riley finally got rid of a guy he inherited and then hired like one of his best friends in Ruffin McNeil. Lincoln Riley hired one of his guys. He got rid of someone who wasn't his guy. All these guys on the staff right now, they're Urban Meyer's guys. So if Urban Meyer is firing someone, he's not firing someone he inherited. He's firing someone he brought here. And you can go read my story at cleveland.com. Whatever it is, either six or seven a chunk of the, a large chunk of the staff has a connection either to Urban Meyer or Ohio State. That it's not just best man for the job. I think my by my definition of it, the only three people of the ten assistants right now who are hired as best man for the job. We don't care what your ties to Urban or Ohio State are. Are Larry Johnson, the longtime Penn State assistant, who right now is their best assistant coach, Alex Grinch, who is from Ohio but was coaching at Washington State and did not have a link to Ohio State or Urban. That was just Ohio State going out when they got the 10th assistant and getting the best guy they could. And um, Kevin Wilson, who Urban Meyer knew. <coughs> he knew because Urban Meyer had studied Kevin Wilson's spread when Kevin Wilson was at Northwestern, but they, don't, they weren't best friends. 
It wasn't Bill Davis in the wedding kind of thing. But everybody else has a connection. And that means to me that there are a lot of guys on this staff who were not best person for the job. Bill Davis was not best person for the job. The linebacker's coach who was the best man at Urban Meyer's wedding. Greg Studrawa, the offensive line coach, who was Urban Meyer's first offensive line coach at Bowling Green um, 17 years ago. Not necessarily best person for the job. Tabor Johnson, who was Ohio State's previous cornerbacks coach under Jim Tressel when Kerry Combs leaves. He doesn't have a connection to Urban, but he has a connection to Ohio State. I don't know that that's best person for the job. Um, Ryan Day was a GA under Urban Meyer at Florida, came off the Chip Kelly tree. Urban and Chip Kelly are very close. I'm not debating whether Ryan Day should be here. He's done a good job. They have not called good plays in the red zone lately, at least ones that haven't worked. But it's a connection. Tony Alford, who, again, I think has done a fine job. I think that's one of the few position coach situations where it has not been a step down from 2014. He replaced Stan Drayton. I think Tony Alford's done a good job. I think he's done a good job recruiting. He was a running back at Colorado State when Urban Meyer was an assistant at Colorado State under Earl Bruce. Tony Alford played for Earl Bruce. Urban Meyer was a coach when Tony Alford was a senior. There's a connection there beyond just best man for the job. Now, I think Tony Alford's good, but I'm just showing you how Urban Meyer has gone about hiring these assistant coaches. I think, A, it makes it harder to fire guys because you are connected to them. I'm not sure if it makes it harder to jump them, to get up their butts because they're your friends. But I think the main thing is I think this is a staff full of guys who were not necessarily best man for the job. And when you coach at Ohio State, you should get the best man for the job. When he hired his first staff here in 2014, Tom Herman didn't know him, best man for the job. When the defense was falling apart, he hired Chris Ash from Arkansas, didn't know him, best man for the job. Hired Ed Warner from Notre Dame, initial staff to be the offensive line coach, didn't know him, best man for the job. Larry Johnson, when Mike Vrabel left, Larry Johnson left Penn State, didn't know him, best man for the job. They need best man for the job at 10 spots, not four, not three. At least seven or eight spots, not four, not three. Best man for the job. I don't think that's what the staff is right now. I thought that before this loss. And everyone else out there who is now on the criticized Bill Davis bandwagon, um, you as a loyal Buckeye Talk listener can welcome everyone else who is now calling for Bill Davis's head because we started it here, baby. We've been on Bill Davis from the get-go when you hire a guy who was in the NFL for 23 or 24 years, got fired a million times, had never recruited players, had never coached teenagers, and you drop him in here because Luke Fickle, who is a tremendous college coach as a recruiter and as a coach of young people – Luke Fickle leaves for a head coaching job. Bill Davis is here because he couldn't get a job anywhere else. He's sitting in the building as an observer for a year. He knows the guys, whatever that means, and they hand him the job. That was not best man for the job. And it shows up in moments like this. It shows up in moments like this. Why does Ohio State, this is I like the Cleveland Cavaliers at Cavs Buckeye, Buckeyes. Why does Ohio State always wait until after loss to make seemingly obvious changes? In that same main, are we idiots for calling the coaches idiots, or do they truly not know what they're doing and the fans see things they don't? So, listen, the coaches know more than us. We all know that. I think they can get stuck in tendencies. I think they can be stubborn. I think it can be difficult for them to change. They are also dealing with realities of the situation. Sometimes they call things and the guys don't execute it right. I do think there are some personnel issues here, but I think there are some stubborn people doing some things that they've always done that necessarily isn't working now. And then I also think there are some people here who aren't very good at their jobs. Uh, I think Urban Meyer does have that tendency um, to adjust after a loss. 
I think they they will adjust now. I think they maybe would have just have adjusted some if they had somehow pulled if they were down twenty one six last night and pulled that out and won twenty eight twenty seven. I think they would have adjusted some things during this bye week anyway. I think Urban Meyer the run the lack of a run game, especially in the red zone. Again, if they had pulled this out because Dwayne Haskins threw three ninety yard touchdowns in the fourth quarter, I think they may have adjusted because the bye week was coming, and I think. Urban Meyer was getting to the point where this was untenable. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, I think it's difficult. I think Greg Schiano and Urban Meyer are very close. Urban Meyer has basically made Greg Schiano the head coach of the defense. And I think it's maybe a little more difficult for Urban Meyer to go in there and say change. Because they're tight. Because Greg Schiano's experience, Greg Schiano's overqualified for this. He's a former NFL head coach being a college assistant. He's overqualified. He would not be an assistant coach in college for anybody but Urban Meyer. So now Urban Meyer has to tell Greg Schiano this isn't good enough. I know some people think this defensive scheme is too much like an NFL situation. They're putting a lot on the linebackers. They're not letting them run and play and be free and diagnosed. They're putting a lot on them to get up at the line, to make decisions on RPOs. <clears throat> I don't think they're putting the linebackers in positions to succeed. I think Alex Grinch at the safeties coach, one safety. I think Jordan Fuller's been good. I don't know if he's been great. I thought he was going to be great this year, and the other safety spot's still an issue. Alex Grinch is the safeties coach. That was the guy who was best man for the job. I'm not sure they're getting it done there. Um, so I, I'll be curious to see how much Urban Meyer goes into the defensive side and says, change. That's what he did after 2013. He said, we are changing. Everett Withers left. They brought in Chris Ash, who was a press man defensive coach. They've played press man ever since. I'm not sure press man is the best thing for this team. Given the, the abilities of the corners given the abilities of the safeties and the linebackers to be putting corners in situations where they're one-on-one, they're not getting help, and if they get burned, there's a chance it pops. I'm not sure that's the thing to do. I think they've adjusted. I think they played some, some zone, some cover two on Saturday night. I'm not 100% of an expert on this stuff, but I think they are backing off on some of it. I think they need to, to reevaluate, tear it down, and don't lean on, well, this is what we do. We asked Tabor Johnson and Urban Meyer, especially Tabor Johnson earlier this year, Press man, why do you do it? He said, it's because that's what we do. Because that's what we do is not an answer. That's a, that's a child's answer. It's not, I'm, not, I'm not blaming Tabor Johnson. I'm saying because it is what they do, but that's Urban Meyer's spot to say well, that's not what we do anymore. We do what's best for this team. If it's varying coverages, if it's playing a lot of zone, if it's dropping eight, we're not going to do, quote, what we do. Because it's not working. So I'm curious to see about the defensive changes. I have another story at Cleveland.com right now. Five drastic changes I'd suggest they make. That's one of them. Vary the coverages. Get away from the the, the man-to-man coverage all the time. But I think offensively it's the biggest thing. I think they are going to tear it down and need to reevaluate how this run game works with this pass game. But I think it does take a loss sometimes. Urban Meyer always says the best thing about 6-0 is the chance to be 7-0. I think he in the end a lot of times I think he values the win. You find a way. By hook or by crook, you find a way. And if it's working, and listen, there are only five power conference undefeated teams. Now there's three. So, I mean, it's not like, they've, it's not like they're terrible. Um, but they, they did not fix the things that eventually caught up to them. And Urban Meyer, it's the first thing he said last night. Our, our, our weaknesses were exposed. Our glaring weaknesses were exposed. So I think they are going to change. I think coaches always change less than fans want them to change. But I think we're going to see a different style in the run game. And I think we may see some things on defense where they back off a little bit and don't put themselves in situations to get burned as much.
Oh, Jordan Marks at Marks. Jordan, why do the Buckeyes hurt my feelings really bad once every year? Mostly because teams lose and it's hard to go undefeated. So um, I picked one loss for Ohio State. I mean, it's one of those things. It's like you think about it in the abstract and you're like, yeah, 11 and 1 in the regular season. That's pretty good. And then you get to the one and everybody freaks out. But I, I think there is a chance this is the one. I'll be, they're not going to lose to Nebraska. I'll be very surprised if they lose to Michigan State. I think Michigan State's overrated this year. I think Michigan State got up and found a way to beat Penn State because Penn State, State was still, even though off a of bye week, was reeling a little bit from the Ohio State loss. Um, but they're banged up. I don't think Michigan State's that good. I think Ohio State will win that game, and I think Ohio State will beat Maryland. So now all of a sudden it's, is Ohio State good enough to beat Michigan? And they have some, if they can fix some things, I think they can be. <clears throat> um, that performance, Saturday night's performance, won't beat Michigan. But I think they can get to a point where they have a chance. Now, Michigan is figuring it out. Michigan's going the opposite way. Michigan week one did not look like that. But they're gotten, they've gotten better each week. Ohio State has not gotten better each week. So that Michigan defense is good. We know that. Shane Patterson's figured some things out. They're getting healthy on offense. They have some playmakers. I think there's a chance to be a great game. Um, I think maybe if they played right now, Michigan would win. But I don't think it's over for the idea of Ohio State can beat Michigan. Um, they got to they change, and I think they will. Kyle Pigeon at Kyle Pigeon 1. Which is the worst hire, Greg Studrawa or Bill Davis? The answer to all those questions is always Bill Davis. At I know football, I underscore no underscore football. Write the problems in order. Run blocking, consistent penalties, the entire defense, Bill Davis. As I said, the answer to everything is always Bill Davis. So I will say one, Bill Davis. Two, run blocking, which relates to the run game, which result, which relates to red zone. That's all connected. That's two. Um, three is consistent penalties, and four is the entire defense. Because I will say, if you're trailing Purdue 14-3 to three at the half, the problem is not the 14, the problem is the three. For this game to be 21-6 late in the fourth quarter, the problem is not the 21, the problem is the six. Teams score. Purdue scores. Jeff Brahma is good. Rondale Moore is good. This was a 21-6 game entering the fourth quarter. Purdue blew them out late. But 21 through three quarters, that should not, that should not be a situation where you're getting blown off the field by Purdue because they've scored 21 and three quarters. That's a touchdown a quarter. That score should be 21-21. At the very least, 21-14. At the very least, 21-17. That kind of thing. And then you're in it going into the fourth quarter. To be down and desperate against Purdue after three quarters, it's not the 21 it's the six, and the six is because of the red zone. So I know people were very frustrated with the defense last night. Um, during the course of the game, I thought it was the offense, the offense, the offense, all of that, mostly the red zone and the run game, and I think the defense was a secondary issue. They're giving up yards, but they weren't getting killed. They weren't getting killed. They were staying in the game. It's just the offense couldn't score. So I'm going to put, I'm going to put the specific defensive problems quite a bit behind the specific offensive problems right now, even though the fourth quarter got away from them. They had a 42-yard run, a 40-yard run, a 43-yard pass in the fourth quarter, plus the pick six. So they scored 28 in the fourth quarter. That defense wore down. I think injuries are an issue. Urban Meyer went right to injuries after the game. I think he overplayed the injuries. Jeffrey Okuda and Kendall Sheffield played the entire game at corner. Kendall Sheffield went out for one play when I think Isaiah Pryor hit his helmet into his thigh and he left for one game. But they did not rotate corners. The three-man corner rotation with Damon Arnett out was a two-man for two spots. That's it. So they played the whole game. Um, The defensive line without Nick Bosa, they wear down. They were in nickel 
Two-thirds of the time last night, Sean Wade played a lot. Sean Wade, the slot corner, played a lot. I think they all wore down. I think you saw that in the fourth quarter in a, in a situation in a game where, let's look at the total plays. Ohio State ran 98 plays. Purdue ran 72. They wore down, and I think that was the fourth quarter. So I think there are some injuries issues, but Urban Meyer was like, we have to get healthy, we have to get healthy, especially in the back end. Um, the only starter they were missing in the back end was Damon Arnett. The linebackers were back healthy. They played Tough Borland, Baron Browning, Pete Werner, and uh, Malik Harrison at linebacker, the four linebackers who played. Those are their four best linebackers. That's who played. Isaiah Pryor and Jordan Fuller played safety the whole game. That's who played. Sean Wade's their slot corner. He was there. They had two of their three corners. Nick Bosa's absence is huge. Um, Robert Landers, I think, still isn't himself. He didn't start last night. He's like a second-team defensive tackle now. Davon Hamilton's taking his spot. I think they're still wearing out Chase Young a little bit. Uh, I think they need a little more explosion on the opposite end. I think they could play Tyreek Smith more. I think they need to look for some solutions there. But I thought Urban Meyer overplayed the injuries. Everybody has injuries. Nick Bosa is the big one. When your main injury is an injury that takes the best defensive player in college football off your roster entirely, there's, there's no bigger injury. I mean, the, the, only, the only bigger injury I think in college football would be like Tua for Alabama. Like what, what good team could lose a player that important? They have the biggest injury in college football. But that's, that's over. So they have to get Damon Arnett back, but I don't, Urban Meyer, to some extent, was waiting for the, the injuries to sort of solve their problem. They're not going to solve their problem. They have to solve their problem themselves. Oh, 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 Evan Cleary at Yo Steezy. Has Bill Landis' departure from Cleveland.com put some sort of vex or curse on this Ohio State team? As I said before, obviously, yes. Um, Joseph Sura, Urban takes odd pride in never firing people. He does. You may find it odd, but he absolutely takes pride in it. Do you think the emotion was sucked out of this team when Bosa left? No energy, no focus, no discipline, no adjustments, terrible tackling. Gregory P. Shank at 10 Ant Rep 1. No. That was not, uh, I don't think that was an emotion loss. That was an execution loss. That was a red zone execution. And Jeff Brom and Rondale Moore and David Blau finding ways to move the ball on offense. I don't think that was an emotion loss. Um... I think I think to come out and try and blame it on that. I mean, Nick Bosa. If you're gonna miss Nick Bosa, you miss, you miss Nick Bosa's talent. You miss the the two sacks Nick Bosa would have had last night. You miss the the ways he would have affected their pass game, and given them less time to get the ball to Rondale more. That's what you miss. I don't think it's the emotion. Getting smoked by unranked Iowa and Purdue is unacceptable. Why is Urban's job safe? What's the point of recruiting five star freaks if we can't beat average teams? At Nicky Unders. Come on, Nicky Unders. Nikki Unders, come on, man. I, I mean, I just, are we going to go down that road? I can't. He's lost nine games in seven years. They lost two games last year. They were the, they were the number five team in the country. So, I mean, they, they lost once. There's three undefeated teams. So, I mean, I know the Iowa losses and the Purdue losses, the way they happen is frustrating, but I just, I, I mean, if you're there, I don't know. I don't, I don't know, man. That's not it. Urban's on the hook for this. Urban's on the hook. Urban's on the hook. Urban's on the hook. He needs to hire better assistants. He needs to be able to change on the fly. Um, His missteps with Zach Smith, which led to him being on leave during the preseason, contributed to this. So Urban's on the hook for this. But, like, he's not on the hook, like, get out the door. So I don't – 
and 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 I, I think when people ask that a lot of, and a lot of these questions again are right after the game. It's the emotion of the moment. I I just can't imagine people actually thinking that. Drizzy gets busy. Oh one. Why doesn't Ohio State ever do anything unique schematically? Um, this goes back to the coaching thing, and I wrote about this. Go read my stories at Cleveland.com. I think the two I put up on Sunday morning were both pretty good. Ohio State almost never gets out talented. In the nine Urban Meyer losses in seven years, I think the only three where you would say it was based on not having as much talent as the opposition was the two Clemson losses in the Orange Bowl in 13 and in the playoff. That 13 Clemson team was nuts. They had some crazy receivers. Um, that team in the Orange Bowl with Deshaun Watson. Uh, the, the Orange Bowl in 13, the Deshaun Watson playoff game. 13 and 16, and Oklahoma last year, which was basically Baker Mayfield. That it was like Baker Mayfield kind of beat him by himself. And it was like, yeah, that guy's the number one pick in the draft. You don't have that Ohio State. Other than that, it's it, they've, they've lost to teams when they had more talent. A couple times to Michigan State, to Iowa, to Purdue, to Virginia Tech. Ohio State had more talent. So when you lose when you have more talent, it's like, well, what is it? Well, it's coaching. What else could it be? It's not, it's not the football gods. Um, but also, just because you have talent, more talent in 90 of the games doesn't mean you're going to go 90-0. and 0. So there has to be some realization that the most talented team doesn't always win. Um, but when it happens, when, when you lose to a less talented team with lesser recruits, you go to coaching. And you should. I'm not making excuses for the coaches. I just want people to have a realistic view of this. So then people say, what's wrong with us schematically? How come we're not as smart as Jeff Brom? And I do think when you're great, you lean on talent. Sometimes you don't have to dial stuff up because it's like, listen, man, we're going to just swing it out to Paris Campbell and let him run. A lot of times here with Ohio State, it's like we're going to hand it to Carlos Hyde. We're going to hand it to Ezekiel Elliott. We're going to hand it to J.K. Dobbins and let him run. We're going to snap it to Braxton Miller and let him go crazy. You lean on the talent. I think sometimes when you have the talent and you lean on it, when it's time to scheme it up and win with scheme, maybe you're not as ready as somebody like Jeff Brom, who Jeff Brom says, I've got Rondale Moore. This Knox kid can run a little bit. But, man, I got to dial it up because we can't go head-to-head mano-a-mano and win this game. We've got to figure something out. We've got to try a fake field goal. And then they do it. Ohio State usually doesn't have to do it. And so I think sometimes when they need to do it, it is more difficult for them. Um, But they've got to find a way. They've got to scheme it up in the red zone, I think, better, uh, better than they have. Urban loyalty is at a weakness. I think with all coaches, loyalty is both a a strength and a weakness. I think it's the same with Terry Francona. It's a strength when it works. It's a weakness when it doesn't. It all comes from the same place. When you rely on people and believe in people and give people opportunities, um, sometimes it pays off. And then people say, he believed in me. He was loyal to me. And that's why I was able to succeed. And then sometimes you're loyal to the wrong people. Loyalty is a good thing. It can't be loyal to the wrong people. Tackling. Why is the tackling bad? I know Moore is tough to tackle, but I don't recall an Ohio State team tackling this poorly. At Nate Miller, underscore, Nate Miller, underscore. So let's talk personnel a little bit. Let's talk personnel a little bit. I think... I, I think at some key spots, their personnel is a half step down from where it's been. And I think we've talked about this already. Uh, this is not a secondary that's a Marshawn Lattimore, a Gary on Conley, Malik Hooker, Denzel Ward secondary. It's not. This is not a linebacking core. That is a Ryan Shazier, Darren Lee, Raquan McMillan linebacking core. It's not. Malik Harrison's good. I think Malik Harrison's at that level or close to it. 
Um, this defensive line could use Joey Bosa, right? I think Draymond's still not quite himself. Chase Young, again, I just think is a lot's being asked to him as a true sophomore. I think he's getting tired a little bit, but he's also making plays. Um, I think they're a half step down personnel-wise at a lot of spots defensively. And I answered a question in a mailbag that I put up Saturday morning. Someone said, "Which, if you could bring three Buckeyes back from the NFL, which three would you bring back? And I said, Marshawn Lattimore, Malik Hooker, then either Ryan Shazier or Joey Bosa. There's nothing, I said this in the press box last night, there's no problem this team has that six All-Americans couldn't fix. So I think part of this is that the scheme is not putting players in position to look great. I think Andrew Sweat, former Ohio State linebacker, was frustrated on Twitter last night and said, I think this is, he thought this was the worst linebackers, worst linebacker play and worst offensive line play he's seen uh, at Ohio State. Ryan Shazier, Darren Lee, Jerome Baker, sophomore year at his best, um, Raquan McMillan, the best of the best, that would fix that. They're, they don't have that. Baron Browning, I think, is Bill Davis's biggest coaching failure. That's a five-star recruit who I think is second-guessing himself, and I think the scheme has a lot to do with that. I think if you let Baron Browning be confident and run and track guys down and make plays, he'd be playing better than he is right now. Baron Browning should be that guy, and I think Bill Davis has coached him out of being that guy. I blame Bill Davis for Baron Browning. Um, I think the other guys, not to place blame on them, I just think they're a half step short compared to some of these other guys. Note, there's not a Malik Hooker here. Jordan Fuller's good. He's not Malik Hooker. The other safety spot is, is not Von Bell. So that's the reality. The defensive coaches have to do a better job scheming, but I think some of this, when you look at tackling, guys aren't making plays in space. They're not making plays that, that other guys made. Von Bell would make some of those tackles that, that they're missing right now. So... Um, you know, coaching, we're, we're going coaching first, for sure. But I think there's a reality. Just like when you go through the assistant coaches, Larry Johnson is the only assistant coach left from 2014. When you go through the assistant coaches, every, every other change that's been made, the eight assistant coaches who are gone, the nine that are in since then, I don't think there's an improvement anywhere. I think there's some big steps down at places. You know, I think Tom Herman, Ryan Day might be pretty equal. Um, I think Lou Stan Drayton and Ad Tony Alford might be pretty equal. But Luke Fickle to Bill Davis is a step down. Ed Warner to Greg Stadrawa is a step down. Uh, Kerry Combs, Tabor Johnson is a step down. So it's the same thing with some of this personnel right now. This is a good team. Uh, the loss of Bosa hurts. I think the coaches have not coached up some of the talent that's here, but they also could have used a couple more breakout, breakouts, I think, from some, uh, from some guys who hadn't done it before, and they're, they're not quite there yet. Oh, my. Let's see. Has Ohio State become the Kentucky, Baske- Kentucky basketball, asks Corey McCune, 11, in that the programs are pro factories but routinely outcoached and undisciplined. Again, we're going 14 national title, 15 lost the one game they couldn't lose to Michigan State and were a top four team and then killed Michigan and killed Notre Dame in the bowl game. Um, 16 playoff with the young team, 17, they finished fifth. So no, I I, I just, you guys want to, I think the questions are good, but don't lose the context in your questions. And I know some people are getting mad at me for, uh, 
dissing the questions, but I, I, there's a lot of valid questions here. But but questions like, is the program falling apart? Should Urban Meyer be fired? Um, those aren't the questions. Those aren't the questions. I'm trying to look. Um, Brian Hartline has been a revelation for the receiving core. Do you think former players are the answer for position group woes, asks another Russian bot. For instance, James Laurinaitis has been pretty vocal about the linebacker struggles. Would he take the job if offered? James Laurinaitis and Marcus Freeman played here together at linebacker. They were best friends. Uh, James Laurinaitis is an announcer right now. Marcus Freeman is the defensive coordinator for Cincinnati. I'd take either. I'd take either. Uh, Marcus Freeman would have been a better hire than Bill Davis when they hired Bill Davis. Not think. Knew. Knew it then. Know it even more now. Um, I think he would help in recruiting. But again, but, but part of this point, and it's an interesting question, Russian bot, but I think part of the point is you, you can't limit your search. You can't limit your search to who's the best former Buckeye, who's the best guy that Urban Meyer has a relationship with. Get the best linebacker coach in America, wherever he is. If he's at New Mexico State and he's never been to Ohio in his life, go get him. I'm not saying get 10 guys like that, but get a couple more. Get a couple more. But would James Laurinaitis or Marcus Freeman be better than Bill Davis? Yes. Could you get either of them? I think maybe yes. Why do we wait until losing to make changes? Scott Duda, because it's what they do. Are we back on the bandwagon to fire Billy Davis now? Another Russian bot. So yeah, so here's the thing, and I, I just want to address sort of what I've been saying in the podcast the last couple of weeks. Um, and I think I've been kind of all over the place. I know I had the podcast where I was yelling at everyone about calm down, everybody gives up points. What are you going to do? Um, and I guess that might have been wrong. But I, again, I don't think the defense lost you that game Saturday night. Fourth quarter worn down, yeah. But 21-6 through three... That's not the defense. So the, the thing that I underestimated, but I did think, I, I sent out a warning about Purdue. If I would have had a little more guts, I would have picked Purdue. I picked Ohio State 38-34, and in the video I said, I think Ohio State could lose. That doesn't give me credit for picking it. I didn't. I picked Ohio State to win, and I was wrong. But I, I thought this was a dangerous game. Given all the things that I had said previously about, you know, don't worry, don't overreact, teams do this, teams do that, I did think this was a dangerous game for them. I thought Rondale Moore fit exactly into their problem area. I thought that was an issue. Uh, I thought Jeff Brom, Colin Plays, fit exactly into their problem area as a defense. And, and they exploited everything that had been exploited at times previously. The thing that I, did not, that I did not have a handle on was how disjointed the run game would continue to be. And I had said, Dwayne Haskins is your answer to everything. Got a problem, Dwayne Haskins. Got a problem, Dwayne Haskins. Dwayne Haskins threw for 470 and he wasn't the answer. So I was wrong on that. I had said, what does it matter what the balance is? Of an offense, if you're gaining 600 yards, who cares if it's 550 passing and 50 rushing? And I think between the 20s, I still think that's true. Because I think on third down, they're able to figure it out. I think they figured out some things on third down. I think they were never as bad in short yardage as people thought. And I wrote that previously. I think they were never as bad on third down as people thought. They were 11 of 22 on third down. Purdue was 6 of 15. Ohio State was 2 of 3 on fourth down. Purdue was 2 of 2. So it's not that. There's a lot of stats you look through here and you say, that's even, that's even, that's even. The thing that is not even is the red zone. And that's the run game. And I am surprised by the inability to get anything going with the run game in the red zone. And I think that's on the play calling. I think that's on the offensive style. (coughs) 
That's on Urban, Ryan Day, and Kevin Wilson a lot. That's on Greg Stodrawa coaching this offensive line. I'm surprised that that has reared its head continuously to the point that it has, to the point that it was on Saturday night. And I think I not, – not think. I know I underestimated that problem. And some of you guys were on that, uh, and I underestimated that. So I apologize for that. Um, but I, I still don't think if – you're, if you're telling me um, – I think that defense wasn't good. But I think that defense through three quarters was good enough to win that game. That game should have been 28-21 Ohio State entering the fourth. And then it goes differently. It should have been 21-21 or 21-17 Purdue. It should not have been 21-6 Purdue. Acquiescence is fatal. Has Urban lost his mojo? Some bad losses the past few years. Tonight, Brom looked more like the Urban of old. This whole Zach Smith thing take too much out of him. So listen, the Zach Smith thing, and I wanted to get to this point. I'm glad, I'm glad we got to this. Urban was more inconsolable last year against Iowa. He was more catatonic. He was almost – he was like a robot. The loss at Iowa last year when he came in that news conference against that blue backdrop, they were absolutely shocked. And maybe this was more uh, – maybe it's more an idea of – I think they were completely shocked by Iowa. I think this Purdue thing is some stuff that they saw coming. They didn't know it would be this bad. But he was not as absolutely out of it last night as he was last year. So, like to say, oh, the Zach Smith thing has changed him and taken stuff out of him. A lot of people are diagnosing like what Urban Meyer looks like from their TVs. I thought he looked a little worn down Monday of this week. And then Wednesday of this week, I thought he looked peppy. I thought he looked peppy and good and like normal Urban. So... I'm going to be careful with diagnosing people from afar. I think I said on the previous podcast he was rubbing his head a couple weeks, a couple Mondays ago, which is where the cyst is in his head. Um, I, I, I would be careful. I would be careful of trying to read too much into this um, as it relates to him. You know what? If something happens and he's not the coach here, if he decides to retire or something in a year, then everyone's going to say, yeah, oh, I saw it coming. Um, but I also think it's just as possible, if not more possible, that like people are feeling like they're seeing things now and he's here five more years. And it's like, well, you were wrong and you forget that people were wrong. So I'm not going to go down that road, but I will tell you I thought, I thought he handled the Iowa loss worse than he handled this loss. And so um, I would not attribute too much of what's happening to the Zach Smith situation. Do you still think it's – this is Brian Wagner at BJ Wagner 93 Do you still think it's just as good to have a great passing offense and crappy defense as it is to have a great running game and great defense? Um, I think I think the same works. I mean like I can – you want to go back? You want to go back and like go through – I don't know if I had Twitter then. 2009, which I wrote about this week when Ohio State lost to Purdue in 2009 with Terrell Pryor and a good defense and they couldn't throw. I mean people get mad the same, Brian. So um, – it's the world, man. People chuck it around. And people, Ohio State fans have been waiting for someone to chuck it around. Did you love it in 2016 when they couldn't throw and they played good defense and they went and got shut out by Clemson 31 nothing in the playoff? I mean, I don't, I don't – they got to run better than that in the red zone especially. But, I, you know, I, I, think, I think if you're if, – if anyone's going to take like what happened last night as proof like this is the wrong way to play football, I don't think that's right. There's a lot of points being made that there's plenty of teams that go shotgun, chuck the ball around, and can still run the ball in the red zone. 
still run the ball when they need to. It's not like every shotgun pass-happy team can't score touchdowns in the red zone. People do it all the time. Ohio State has to figure out a way to do it. Do you think Pete Werner is a Division I linebacker? There have been a lot of questions about Pete Werner. That's from Allen underscore 740. He's little. Um, they love him. He wouldn't be playing if they didn't love him. They have Justin Hilliard. They have Dante Booker. They have some other guys. They love him. They love him. They think he's, he's, a, he's an athletic, tough guy. Um, I think he's been in some tough spots. He's also a second-year player that, that won a starting job. And it would have been great if he was Darren Lee. He's not Darren Lee. So um, they have some linebackers. They have some freshman linebackers that I also think are coming. Um, you know, Keandre Jones was a guy that people thought was going to start in that spot. And he doesn't. So, so Pete Warner beat out a guy like that. There are some guys coming at linebacker um, that I would keep my eye on for next year. Um, Toronto Mitchell is one of them. Uh, Kayvon Pope's one of them. Um, Dallas Gant is a, is, is a redshirt freshman. I keep my eye on him. Uh, I think there's some guys uh, that could be uh, some answers next year that maybe it won't be the same guys even if they're all back. I think Willie Harrison's good. I think Baron Browning can and will be better than he is right now if he gets better coaching. <coughs> Aiden Wright at Aiden Nansky. Of all the games left on the schedule before Michigan, was this the game Ohio State needed to lose? Going into a bye week, allowing us to make the necessary changes. They still control their Big Ten destiny. Yeah, I think it is. I think you'd rather lose this one than lose to Nebraska, Michigan State, or Maryland. I think the bye week is the main part of that. Get the loss out of the way. See if it can help you change anything. Um, and, and we'll get into this later. We're going to carry a lot of this podcast over into the midweek one next week because there's so many questions and so many good questions. But 12-1 and Ohio State, the Big Ten champ is in. And I know you have to say, well, what about this and what about that? Enough's going to happen. We're not going to be in a world where Notre Dame, Clemson, and Alabama all won out, and then it's like those three plus the Big 12 champ, one loss Big 12 champ, and Ohio State's sitting at home with one loss. If Ohio State's 12-1 and the Big 10 champ, they're in. I'm not saying it's 100%. It's not a mathematical thing. I'm just telling you the way the world works. People lose, and Ohio State has a chance. Michigan's going to be in the top five. They might be in the top five now. Michigan's going to be in the top five when they come to Ohio Stadium. Michigan is Ohio State's best friend right now because Michigan State's not that good. And the TCU and Penn State wins don't look as good now as they looked in the moment. Michigan is Ohio State's best friend. If you handle Michigan, Michigan might be number three by then. Notre Dame's going to lose at some point. I think Michigan might be number three by the time they get to Ohio State. If Ohio State wins that game and then wins the Big Ten title 12-1, and one, sorted it out because obviously if they get to that point and they do that they will have sorted it out and the committee can say hey they had a bad loss but they're better now they fixed it they overcame the loss of nick bosa they proved how good they were everybody has a loss look at that michigan win they're in you can tell me i'm wrong if before ohio state's 12 and 1 and the big 10 champ and they're not in we'll have a podcast about it um that is absolutely on the table for them now i'm not saying it's going to happen i'm like i'm not saying if they play like saturday night they're going to be 12 and 1 in the big 10 champ I'm saying if they get it fixed, the opportunity to be that remains. Any chance Bill Davis just resigns and makes it easier on Urban? It's clear he was hired because he's a friend. Maybe he'll repay the favor and resign for his friend. I just – Dave Nemeth at DN, D Nemeth 11. I just, I just don't think a mid-year change is, is something to uh, spend a lot of time on. I don't know. 
Ryan Stamper is, is a guy who's on the staff here. He was a linebacker for Urban at Florida. Again, I would hope they would look big, but I mean, if he wanted to make a change right now, maybe that would be a possibility. He's like, but he's not a coach right now. He's like a he's like a staffer who deals with the players and stuff. So anyway, Tim Jessberger, what changes are most likely to happen over a bye week? I'll give you guys a little clue. The, the, the five changes I suggested were move away from RPOs. Maybe chunk them entirely, but get get away from them and just run a pass game with a play-action run game or play-action pass game with a normal run game with normal inside zone and power and just run and, and just let the offensive line tee off and try to get on people um, and just try to run. I think the RPOs are throwing off the offensive line in a way that it's not worth the trade-off. That's one. Two is personnel changes on the interior of the offensive line. I'd think about Brandon Bowen at right guard if he's back healthy and he has been practicing, and I think he'll be healthy soon. I think that's a real, real, real possibility. I'd also consider redshirt freshman Josh Myers at center and redshirt freshman Wyatt Davis at right guard. I'd consider moving Michael Jordan back to left guard. I think maybe if I had my choice, my interior offensive line, the next time Ohio State takes the field would be Michael Jordan at left guard, Josh Myers at center, and Brandon Bowen at right guard. Um, I'd play more zone on defense. I'd get the linebackers away from the line of scrimmage and let them back off and diagnose and stop being up filling in those gaps all the time. And I'd I'd work in Tate Martell in the red zone, not as a magic pill, but as an acknowledgement that the red zone's not working now. Those are my five, and I think a couple of them could definitely happen. Uh, will Meyer intervene with the defense? Does his respect for Shiano stop him from ending the circus on defense? This is the biggest waste of talent I've seen in a long time in our defense at Cleveland teams. I think it's a great question. I think I sort of delved into it. I think it's harder. But he went in and he tell, he, he intervened in 13-14 and said, this is what we're doing. Uh, and I'm trying to think the other story of midseason intervention. There's a story, there's a story of midseason intervention. It might have been in 13 when it was a big deal, we wrote a million stories about Urban going into the defensive room during the week, which was so unusual. But the thing is, right now, there's, I still think the red zone is the number one thing. So it's like, is Urban going to take time away from the red zone to go into the defensive room? I think no. I think he leaves it to Shiano. But I think he might demand changes, but I think he leaves it to Shiano. All right, you know what? Um, I think I'm going to call it. I think I'm going to call it. And uh, I would say... I would say that I don't think they're out of it. I think they have a chance to get it right. Teams lose. I think Bama's the only great team, and I think Ohio State's in that pack with a bunch of other one-loss teams. I ranked them 11th on my AP ballot this week. I ranked them 8th among the one-loss teams. The one-loss teams I had ahead of them were LSU, Michigan, Texas, Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, and Washington State. I had Oklahoma right behind them because Oklahoma hasn't beaten anybody. Oklahoma's best win is TCU, and Ohio State has that too, plus the Penn State win, so I had Ohio State ahead of them. But, you know, like the one-loss teams ahead of them are Washington State, Kentucky, Georgia, Florida, Texas, Michigan, LSU going to get in the playoff ahead of them. You know, like LSU's got to play Bama. If LSU beats Bama, we're in a different story. They're going to play Michigan. Texas or Oklahoma is going to win the Big 12, and Ohio State is going to have to deal with them as a playoff contender. But I also think their resumes aren't great. I don't think the Big 12 is great. Um, Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, again, I just there's going to be some more losses in the SEC Washington State has a couple good wins. Are they better than Ohio State? You know, I, I, I just think it's maybe not as bad as you think. I think they're not as bad as a team as they showed against Purdue. And I think if Ben Victor and Terry McLaurin or just one of them catches one of those early passes in the end zone, I think it's a different game. But, but that all goes back to the idea of if that's your very best red zone play, you need better red zone plays. But I, I think it still would have been reasonable for a couple of them, for one of them to work, maybe both.
All right. We'll get to more next week. I was going to fart around and do like an AMA and have you guys ask me questions about life as an Ohio State beat writer and stuff, but that I didn't know they were going to lose by 29. So we'll dig in more. It's bye week this week. We'll dig in more. I'll get somebody to come on with me. And we'll keep digging in on this. We're not going to have a bunch of interviews this week. We have no availability Monday. So I will not have talked to anybody else about around the team, any coaches or players, um, between now and when we talk again. But I'll, I'll have watched the game again. I want to go back and watch this game and compare it to the TCU game. I wanted to get into a little bit of how much has the offense really moved away from what they were doing in Ryan Day time when Urban wasn't here. Because I think you throw out the first two and you just look at TCU. I want to compare... TCU in this game and what the offense looks like. I think that's important. Um, They did do tempo. They tried tempo against Purdue. Ryan Day always says you have to get the first first down in a drive before you can start the tempo. And you could see every time they gained a first down last night, they started tempo right after that. I think at its best early on, the tempo helps the run game. The defense barely gets set and you line up and pound them right away. But also it's very hard to maintain tempo when you line up. You get a first down. Now it's first and 10. Here we go. Let's go tempo. And you line up and gain a yard. That's hard. If you line up and gain five or six, you can keep it rolling. So they need to figure out the run game, and I think a lot of other things um, will look a lot better if they can run the ball. And I think this is a this is a tear down, build back up two weeks with the run game. I think Ryan Day, Kevin Wilson, Greg Studrawa, and Urban Meyer have a task ahead of them to figure this out. And I think it's it can be figured out. They have two good tailbacks. They have options on the offensive line. They're not going to change their tackles. Isaiah Prince just needs to play better. Uh, Thayer Munford, I think, is fine. Um, They need to be better. But the interior of the offensive line, that push in the middle, um, and the right play calls to let these tailbacks get free, I think there's a solution out there. They have two weeks to find it. Drop the reviews at... uh at uh, iTunes, thanks to you guys. Saw some five-star reviews popping in to balance out some of the one-star reviews popping in, so I appreciate that. Um, read me all week at Cleveland.com. I will tell you we're moving. Um, we're moving on a new uh, someone new to help cover Ohio State for Cleveland.com. I hope maybe that will get done soon. Um, and then if that does get done soon, then, then I'll have a partner on this podcast that's not just me and not a guest host. So um, thanks as always to you guys. I, I love seeing what you're going to ask when I put up the call at the end of a game. And, uh, and I just want to say again, I think, it's a, I think it's fun and interesting and a privilege to really be able to dig in with you guys when this kind of thing happens. I think we kind of do it together. And um, I think it's important. I think this is the time when you need to uh, really be able to analyze a team and figure out what's going on and not pull any punches and, and have some history behind it and some analysis. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not an X and O football coach, but I feel like I have a feel. I think I have a feel for Urban Meyer. And I have a feel for uh, what works and doesn't work sometimes with, uh, with this football team after 14 years. So thanks again to you guys. I'm Doug Maurice. Bye week next week for the Buckeyes, but not for Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk will be back next Wednesday as usual. Um, So for now, thanks to all your questions. I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.